Did you know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Jennifer Teague and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good morning, evening, or afternoon, wherever you're at. Good morning, evening, afternoon. How are you, Josh? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm pretty darn good. I'm feeling pretty good, too. You know, I know. I've lost about... I know. I've lost over 15 pounds. You look fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. That's two newborn babies. Two newborn babies. I've lost. Or That's a dog. <laughs> or a dog. Whatever you want to... Or my daughter's cat. Yeah. There yeah. you go. If you got a big, chunky cat. Yeah. My cat weighs 30 pounds. So I ain't quite Mr. There yet. Sage is definitely a fat cat. Yeah. My, He's adorable. My boogie britches is 30 pounds. <laughs> He's also about four feet long. That's a really enormous cat. He's huge. I'm, de- I'm probably going to eventually have to just come over to your house and meet this gigantic cat you've spoken about so many times. Yeah, he's he's a monster. <laughs> and he holds grudges. Yeah, um, I better not make him mad, right? Yeah, well, my sister, you know, she'll come over, and if she doesn't pet him, he'll run up when she walks by and bite her in the ankle. <laughs> because he, you know, he hadn't got petted. Which sister, Tabitha? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'll have to ask her about that one. I know. That's fun. Well, I've lost a little weight too, so I'm on the we're on the weight loss train. Yeah, I had to though. My blood pressure was getting way too high. Well, I'm excited for you. We're all championing your weight loss and we're very proud of you and um we'll stay on you. So if Jody, if you're listening, we've got your back. Yeah. So the goal is uh, when I weighed in I was four oh five, which is way up there. I'm six two, so it balances out. <laughs> <laughs> but my my end goal is two hundred and fifty pounds. That's a great goal. And then when I reach my end goal, I'm going to look at hiking the AT from start to finish. Oh, that's a hike. great reward, yeah. especially how much you love hiking. Can you I imagine the it. pictures you're going to get? I know. Oh I plan God. on taking five months. You should do like a whole picture journal book thing, my well, journey to I the AT. It, well, if I do it, I'll do uh, YouTube on it. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll put it on my channel and, yeah, you know, do show, it. The, show a weekly update or I would watch that. Just I'm. I would be very excited to watch that. So I, I suggest you do that. I'm all on board. Yeah. So I'll definitely be like, don't eat that, Josh. Yeah, I know. So I can <laughs> go hiking. Yeah. I want to see the YouTube. All right. Well, we all know that we're now into the third episode of the second season of our award-winning podcast, Impact Sigma. And today, just for reference, is March the third of 2021. And as of now, we have well over 600 loyal fans across America. I'm so excited. Um, We have shared many stories with many wonderful guests, stories filled with triumph of recovery, the pain of grief and loss, painful traumas, and incredible victories. Today, we are honored to share this space with a true survivor. Our special guest today comes from Scott County and is a certified peer recovery specialist with Frontier Health. His story and his victory represents what it means to battle addiction along with a mental health issue. We are looking forward to this conversation, so please help me welcome Kenneth Knight to Impact Stigma. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Hey, we're glad to have you, man. Absolutely. All right. As always, we strive for candid, open, and sometimes even humorous conversations here on Impact Stigma. So please remember, this podcast is never intended to be a substitute for professional advice, a formal diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral health issues. If you need further assistance or have questions, please visit the Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. If you or someone you love has an urgent mental health need, please call 
928-9062. And our 24-7 Frontier Health Crisis Team will be there to help you. If you, your child, or someone you know is in danger of suicide, go to the nearest emergency room or please call 911. All right, so one of the things we like to do to warm our guests up and get them into the, you know, the flow of things, get them used to sitting here, is to ask them a couple warm-up questions. So you can tell a lot about a person by the food they eat, not what style and all that stuff, but what is your absolute favorite thing to eat? Italian. Uh, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But so. what, what Italian dish? Yeah, <sighs> specifics. We need gotta, specifics, Kenneth. Well, you know, the pizza was incredible. I okay. Mean, I could hit a golf ball in any direction and hit a great pizza place. So okay. practically grew up on this So stuff. what do you put on the pizza? You know, plain pepperoni, meat lovers, uh, stay away from the vegetables because they're good for you. So. Yeah, that's about <laughs> the way I've been. My son's the same way. My daughter, however, she likes the veggies, so we're good. Yeah, she's, she's a vegetarian. Okay. Yeah. Pepperoni mushroom all the way. She's like, put it's a bunch better. of veggies on it. So we have super beautiful, colorful pizza, and then just red and white, you know, cheese and meat. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's your way? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. All right, so I have a question. If you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would they be and why? All right, well, uh, three is a tough number, so I'm going to have to... You can make it two if you need to. Well, we're, I'll do all three categories, but the first one, uh, I'm going to do a 33 and a third okay. tie. So uh, that would be uh, Jack Nicholson, Al Pacino, or Christopher Walken. <laughs> I uh, love Christopher Walken. Yes. I narrowed <laughs> That's my man. <laughs> I narrowed it down to two because there's something so inherently terrifying about Jack Nicholson. Yes. I probably wouldn't enjoy the dinner. So between Al and Christopher, I'd probably go with Christopher because just comically, he's just insanely he's fun. so different and interesting. The first know. thing that comes to my mind is his cowbell scene. <laughs> I love that scene. With Will Ferrell on yeah. SNL. Yeah. I just need more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. Just absolutely love ridiculous. Him. Yeah. yeah, I remember him in that crazy movie, like the music video that he did. I can't remember the name of the song, but he was dancing in this video. Yeah, Do you know what I'm talking that. about? Yeah. That remember, was really great. You remember the Skittles commercial? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty much anything he's in, I'm a fan. Yeah. True Romance, great movie. He's oh, in a good movie absolutely. with a Fantastic rock, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget the name of that one. Is it an action movie? I don't know. There's so many. I think those are great choices. Yeah. Well, that's just the first category. The second one would be my grandmother, Knight, or uh, my, my wife's late father. Uh, he actually passed away before we met, and I didn't have the chance to meet him, so that would uh, he would be right up there. And my grandmother, Knight, because she um, she was very pivotal. pivotal. You know what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. In my childhood, she spent a lot of time with me. Just, you know, we go for long, long five-mile walks, and she just, uh, she was always important. And she saw me at some bad times, and I don't really think she got to see me get to where I am now. So, and lastly, it'd have to be my wife because um, she just absolutely walked through fire for me. And, uh, you know, when I flew a little too close to the sun, you know, she just, she would go anywhere to come get me. And, you know, it's for the last 15 years, she's been my, my strongest supporter. And, uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So, I always love to hear absolutely. that. Well, I got one last question. Go for it. And you know, I'm trying to change up my last question every episode now. Mm-hmm. You do a good job with that. Yeah, just kind of think them up. So what's your favorite hobby? Uh, I would have to say custom paint and airbrush. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. How'd you get into it? Well, you know, growing up outside of Philadelphia when I was a kid, um, every tow truck had the coolest custom paint scheme on it. 
and uh, also drag race boats. Uh, these guys were just genius hand letterers and, and lettering um, and airbrush work. I was just, I've always been fascinated by yeah. it. Yeah. I like that. I don't know how anybody does that. I've seen people do it on videos, and I just think, wow, you just, because the spray just goes everywhere, but they manage to figure out how to make it go exactly where they want it to go, which is mesmerizing to me. Well, freehanded lettering is not easy. No. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible, and uh, absolutely, absolutely love it. That's awesome. All right, well, I have one last question to really get to the bottom of who Kenneth is. Um, if you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell him? I would say be patient. Uh, be humble, uh, be kind, you know, and ask for help. Yeah. As a kid, you know, I just, I, I had this internal thing where if I thought, you know, I asked a question, I was stupid. And, um, you know, like they say, the only dumb question is the one not asked. I love that. I'm glad yeah. you said that. I think a lot of us go through that. I think I still tr struggle with that some today, you know. Yeah. For sure. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I think you said, I think yeah. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> I think everybody does. Kenneth, you reached out to me about two weeks ago and asked me about this podcast. We decided to have a Zoom meeting and just talk about your story for a bit and decide if the podcast, you know, might be a good way to share it. And we decided it was. So first, if you would, can you please just briefly share more about your role here with Frontier Health as a CPRS? Absolutely. I, you know, I get to play or wear a few different hats uh, as a CPRS. I'm able to work with peers one-on-one. -on -one ask them about what they're going through. And my style with them is usually ask and listen. Uh, I feel like I have to listen more in order to know what a person's going through in order to help them or make any useful suggestions. Uh, also, I get to lead therapeutic groups with people enrolled in adult services. I've also served as a technician for Frontier Health, and um, this next step up allows me to, I think, be even more useful. Thank you very much. All right. So during our Zoom meeting, you also shared briefly about your story and the difficulties that you face, which were quite a bit. So would you please share your story with our listeners? Okay. It, it goes back uh, way when I, was a, when I was a young child. I'd have terrible outbursts of anger, rage, um, started drinking alcohol at a very young age. Uh, I actually blacked out when I was eight years old for the first time. I was at a graduation party, and for some reason, I was allowed to drink, and uh, I, you know, I took my liberty, and uh, sure enough, it was a first blackout. By the age of 10, um, I had been sexually abused, uh, and after that happened, pretty much all bets were off. I had struggled with kind of depression and, you know, uselessness kind of thinking when I was, uh, before I was 10, so I was already suffering, but after the, the, um, the molestation, I just, I kind of split in half, and I took the direction that was, you know, down a bad road. I started using uh, marijuana uh, about, you know, six months later. Uh, about a year after that, I started experimenting with LSD, started selling LSD, started selling marijuana. Uh, we ended up, kids, kids I was hanging around with started. Uh, actually, one of them robbed the house, and I guess I thought I would show him up. And um, the next day, I uh, stole my family's car and took it out joyriding. I went joyriding all over Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Drove every road that I knew and somehow managed to get through high school. Um, you know, I did spend a few days in, in school suspension, uh, out of school suspension, skipping school. Um, and I just pretty much ran the myriad of um, bad decisions. If you, uh, That's probably the best way I can describe it. 
So I took a lot of chances that could have ended my life. Um, luckily, that didn't happen. For sure. Yeah. Somehow I got through uh, high school, graduated a year late, and had a bad acid trip after I had started college. Just kind of had a lot of mental anguish through that. Uh, and I ended up joining the Marine Corps uh, to, to get out of my house. I was, I was just absolutely a mess and uh, needed to do something. I had a friend doing a Marine Corps uh, presidential guard down in D.C., and he visited the recruiter's office, and he told me to come up. And I went up, and he just asked me what I was doing. I said nothing, and he said, well, you know, let's do something. And I joined and uh, went to the Marine Corps. I did about 10 months until I was thrown out for drinking. Uh, no drug use in the Marine Corps, but I had gotten in trouble too many times. Uh, they were done with me, so they gave me an honorable medical discharge. And I got home, kind of bounced around for about another half a year until I woke up in my friend's apartment one morning, and he used to let his dog crap on the floor every day. And uh, it was in North Philadelphia, and the only thing to drink was some disgusting North Philadelphia tap water. So driving away from his house that morning, I had one clear thought, and it was something has to change. That night I got to an AA meeting, and I, I ended up staying in AA for five years. Did good, got a sponsor, worked through the steps, helped other people, organized dances, played on sober softball teams, you know, kind of surrounded myself with sobriety. Met a girl who wasn't really around sobriety. She was around sobriety, not in sobriety, and I started keeping really late hours and losing night after night of sleep, and I slipped into mania associated with bipolar disorder. So I went completely off the rails in my thinking, started having delusions of grandeur, hyperactivity, um, without picking up a drink or a drug. Eventually, I did pick up a drink or a drug, but I was, I was way gone uh, before I ever you know, picked anything up. So that lasted about five or six more years. Uh, wound up in four inpatient hospitalizations, 11 emergency room visits, um, about five trips to jail for numerous charges. Uh, between 2002 and 2011, I picked up about 12 charges, which I've actually been back to the Board of Parole and Pardons in South Carolina and had all that pardoned. So started making good decisions the last time I was incarcerated. I uh, got out, like I said, and just started making good decision after good decision. Uh, there was a moment there where the warden looked me square in the eyes, and he said, the only difference between you and I are the choices we've made in our lives. And for some reason, you know, a light bulb came on, and I just started making good decision after good decision. I got a therapist. I got a doctor. I started taking my medication as prescribed. Got involved with NAMI and um, doing in-your-own-voice presentations. Also did their peer-to-peer -peer training and uh, wound up working at uh, Murrayfield Crisis Response Center in Fairfax, Virginia, with an incredible team of people. I was behind the glass working with doctors and clinicians, and they're asking me my opinion on what's going on with a client coming in. And for me, that was, that was like the pinnacle of, you know, uh, where I could go. And just long story short, you know, it's it's coming up on nine years. Uh, March 29th, I'll be sober. Congratulations. Thank you. Congrats. Thank That's you. awesome. I appreciate it. It's the day after my birthday. Hey, there you go. You won't forget my anniversary. No, <laughs> not ever. Yeah. So that's, in a nutshell, pretty much, you know, what I've been through. There's, you know, tons of stories about mania and, you know, the hospitalizations. And, I mean, I've been strapped to beds. I've been in five-point harnesses, I've been in straitjackets, padded rooms, shot up with haloperidol, uh, in, a, in a chair, uh, you name it, it's as far as uh, you know, the mental health system goes. I've, I've probably been involved with it in one way or another. 
So you mentioned NAMI. Could you go ahead and tell everybody what NAMI is? NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and uh, they have chapters throughout the country. I was actually involved with NAMI of NOVA and doing those presentations at the Criminal uh, Justice Center in Fairfax is how I got into Maryfield. I just made the contacts, and um, but I was sharing my story openly with CIT classes and probably about 600 police officers and fire responders over about two years. That's great. Yeah. Absolute honor to be able to share my story and let them know that, you know, I'm, we're human and, yeah. you know, we have potential and we can do, do good things with our lives. I love that Frontier Health, especially up in Virginia right now, is doing the CTAC. And that's something that I just find so fascinating that they're, you know, educating you know, the police officers with trauma-informed care information so that when they can approach someone with a mental illness, they have... Not only do they have someone helping, you know, with resources, but they don't have to treat that person as a criminal. Even if they've done something wrong, they may have to, you know, they may have to serve time, but at least they have the opportunity to be treated like they are a human and they get help first and they can kind of assess the situation, which cuts greatly back on any violent interactions, you know, when someone's trying to be apprehended. So I think that it's a great program and anything anyone I hear is doing to contribute to that, I thank you so much. It's a big deal. My pleasure. Absolutely. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. All right. Now we'd like to discuss the five myths about bipolar disorder that really boost stigma. Myth number one, people with bipolar disorder are just moody. Fact, bipolar disorder does not cause mood swings. It causes cycles that last for weeks or months. People so often throw around the term bipolar to describe just the weather. Bipolar disorder causes you to have episodes where you experience mania, high energy, rampant thoughts, inability to sleep, grandiose ideas and per- or perspectives, and then depressive states, feeling very sluggish, sad, suicidal, having low self-esteem, or the inability to concentrate. These extreme highs and lows take turns, but do not change or swing from moment to moment. Myth number two, individuals with bipolar disorder are attention-seeking, and try to manipulate others. The fact is, a prominent part of bipolar disorder is the lack of insight. Individuals with bipolar disorder, particularly during a manic state, are unable to see and understand their symptoms. Individuals with bipolar disorder are unable to control their thoughts, impulses, or actions during manic or depressive states, and therefore suicidal thoughts or impulsive actions are not met to seek attention. So, when others assume that these individuals are acting out of the sake of attention, it can worsen the stigma associated with bipolar disorder and result in more restricted access to treatment. Thank you. Yeah. Myth number three, there is only one type of bipolar disorder. Factually, according to the widely used manual for mental health disorders, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, There are four types of bipolar disorder, all distinguished by different experiences and intensities of mood disturbance. There's bipolar 1 with manic episode, bipolar 2 with hypomanic and depressive episodes, cyclothymic disorder, hypomanic and depressive symptoms, and bipolar disorder not otherwise specified with bipolar-like mood disturbance that does not fit the pattern of the other diagnoses. 
Myth number four. Bipolar disorders are rare. The fact is, bipolar disorder affects 2 million adults in the United States alone. It's estimated that up to 2.1% of the population will experience bipolar disorders in their lifetime. Rates of bipolar disorder are relatively equal between men and women. However, the prevalence of bipolar disorder may vary based on individual characteristics. For example, bipolar disorders may be greater among Native American communities, people with lower education levels or socioeconomic status, people who were previously married, young and middle-aged people. Myth number five, mania is productive. You are in a good mood and fun to be around. The fact is mania can be seriously debilitating and may lead to impaired functioning or even hospitalization. In some instances, a manic person may feel good at first, but without treatment, things can become detrimental and even terrifying. They may go on a big shopping spree, spending beyond their means. Some people become overly anxious or highly irritable, getting upset over small things and snapping at loved ones. A manic person may lose control of their thoughts and actions and even lose touch with reality. All right, now we wanted to talk to Kenneth and ask a few questions. So, Kenneth, can you share with us how difficult it was for you to get a formal diagnosis for your bipolar disorder and how you felt when it finally happened? Well, it is difficult to get the right uh, diagnosis just because uh, when you look at the major mental illnesses, the symptoms so closely relate to each other that people are often misdiagnosed. Right. Um, With misdiagnosis, you can be put on the wrong medicine that doesn't work, and that can be uh, frustrating for people. For me, it was when I was 28, you know, the, the word bipolar popped up, and And then is it bipolar or, you know, it used to be manic depressive. So what is it? Um, So you definitely, I know I went through a lot of confusion and mostly just accepting the diagnosis was probably the hardest part. Getting it wasn't terribly hard, but like I said, the acceptance uh, of the problem was probably the most difficult thing to get through. I'd say. After hearing your story, can you share with us how your diagnosis affected the steps you took toward your recovery? Well, with having, you know, success in Alcoholics Anonymous for five years and, you know, pretty much turning my life around, I was faced with a completely different set of circumstances I had to deal with. Uh, So I had to look at, you know, mental illness as, you know, opposed to alcoholics uh, or, or, you know, drug addiction or alcoholism. So I had to make co-occurring meetings. I had to learn more about, you know, mental illness, what was going to work, what kind of therapy would work, getting into mindfulness, working to fix a toxic internal dialogue that I'd carried with Mm -hmm. me. So after all of your experiences you've went through, what does the, what does recovery really mean to you? Now it's, it's everything, you know, my life is, you know, surrounded with recovery. I work in recovery and to be able to give back to people and just instill hope in others is probably the most rewarding thing I know I can do. Would you share some of your wisdom with our listeners regarding what it's like to recover from bipolar disorder and substance use disorder at the same time? Well, it, it can be difficult. So I, I still, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I still go to meetings for that um, and deal with those issues. But I also go to co-occurring, co-occurring meetings as well 
and I just do a lot of reading on my own. I, I definitely have been reading lately about depression and physiological things like diet and exercise and, you know, brain chemistry. I read these things, but I don't completely understand them all. But um, That's I think, understandable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, the human mind is uh, just the absolute most complex thing in the universe to include the universe. So um, any bit of knowledge I can gain will certainly help in my recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you knew you were at a place where you were ready for recovery, was there a certain person or a pivotal moment that stands out that made a difference? Yeah, I was actually standing in the graveyard with my friend who had buried his 30-year-old son uh, from doing a line of cocaine laced with fentanyl. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, he pointed out three other graves of people uh, just about the age of 21 who had taken their own lives. And it was pretty much at that moment that I decided, you know, I have to do more with my story. Yeah. So we know how intense the program is and the ongoing recertifications required to become a CPRS. So what made you want to become a CPRS? You know, it, it was that story. It was a uh, feeling that I, I needed to do more. Um, and it gives me the ability to, to make one-on-one contact with people and, and to run therapeutic groups as well um, and to share my story that's basically, you know, if if me going through what I went through doesn't help someone, there's no reason for me to go through it. So CPRS, for those that don't know, is a certified peer recovery specialist. So have you used your bipolar diagnosis to help others in recovery as a CPRS? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I share it openly with um, anyone that I come in contact with who is, you know, enrolled in outpatient services. Um, like I was a tech down in Turning Point, uh, one of our facilities. And even there, I was able to, you know, share my story. And that's the most important part is not only the training, but just the listening. And for someone in coming into recovery or coming into a facility, just for them to see a person who is living a successful life, you know, kind of makes them think, well, maybe, you know, I can do this too. Absolutely. Yeah. We hear that a lot. So we want to make sure we offer ways every single time um, we do this podcast for those listening to make an impact on stigma right away that they can use. So if you could say one thing to anyone suffering from substance use disorder along with a mental illness, what would it be and why? Never, ever give up. Good advice. And there is this cartoon. You can Google it. Um, it is a pelican standing there trying to swallow a frog and the frog has his hands around the pelican's throat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I saw it years ago, and it just made this impact on me. And it just is, you know, just don't ever, ever give up. Keep fighting. Keep asking for help, you know, and start making good decisions. Okay, one last question that I always ask everyone sitting in your chair. If you could step into our shoes on this podcast, what would you have asked yourself that we didn't? Probably, why does the world have such a negative view on mental illness? Um, when you Good look question, at, yeah. When you look at media outlets, they prefer to broadcast tragedy associated with mental illness rather than triumph. Um, when you're fed a steady diet of judgment and disdain uh, for those people with mental illness, it tends to color your judgment of them. Um, it's, it's sad, but it's, it's very true. I think the people who are reformulating themselves, and that's a word I like to use uh, because recovery sometimes falls short, People who are reformulating themselves need to speak out, show up, and uh, let our voices be heard. I'll leave you with a quote, and it says, um, It is in the mind of a person where all judgment or acceptance begins. It all depends on what you're fed. 
I like that. Yeah, that's a good quote. I like that a whole lot. Today has been an enlightening experience, and we are so grateful that you came to share space with us as well as your inspiring story. Thank you, Kenneth. For our listeners, we really hope you enjoyed the, this episode of Impact Sigma, and thank you so much for joining us. We know that without all of you, we wouldn't be here, so thank you for being such incredibly supportive fans. Everybody, I'd just like to thank you for watching or listening, and if you can, <laughs> don't forget to subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. You know, that way you can stay in the loop when the next episode's post. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't cost anything. These are free. So just go ahead and do it. And make sure you listening. keep supporting us like you have been. And don't forget, go make an impact. Stigma can make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous economic and emotional burden on our communities. Economic burden alone is in the billions, and that directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than just a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, first, subscribe to this podcast. Then go visit our website at impactstigma.com. Watch the video and read about how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. You're so glad you chose us. We want to thank our guests again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to impact stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you. So go be an impact maker. Thank you and be blessed.